I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. All right, guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here, and I'm here with Steve. Hey, guys. And we're lucky today to have with us Andrew Daly and Caroline Monroe. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hey, Thanks thank so you. much for having us. Absolute <laughs> pleasure. Thanks for doing this. You guys are in town for the Fringe, helping your friend Emma Malik do her um, Fringe show. And we heard about it, and we wanted to get you on the show. So, uh, so you guys, you guys um, are zookeepers. Yeah, that's right. I'm a zookeeper at Taronga Zoo. Uh, and before that, the Australian Reptile Park, mostly working with native mammals and birds, but a few reptiles here and there, and now uh, a couple of exotic monkey species as well. Oh, okay. Interesting. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I also worked at the Australian Reptile Park. That's where we met. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. And then now I work at Wildlife Sydney Zoo. So my whole career has been with Australian native mammals and birds. So I really love working with them. I think when I started working with native mammals, I was like, oh, like one day I'll work with exotics and that will be like, that's when I've made it. But the more I work with them, the more I love them. And now I don't think I ever don't want to work with koalas. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I had the same journey. You know, I started up at the Reptile Park as a volunteer, um, you know, for a foot in the door. But the more you engage and learn about the Aussie natives, the more interesting they become and the more and more, you know, I've wanted to stay with them. Isn't that funny? Like people want to, you know, people that keep Australian native reptiles, for instance, and they're like, oh, look, it's a pity we can't have alligators and boa constrictors and all those things are cool. But... You know, do you think we should be just looking at what we've got here and going, we've got an amazing diversity of critters right here that we can keep? No, I really like alligators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I'd like an alligator too. <laughs> See? Alligators is a bad example. Yeah. <laughs> and working with koalas, I mean, here in South Australia, we, we started off with about six or six or 12 koalas, I can't remember, but the, we've got koalas coming out of our ears down here in the Adelaide Hills, Port Lincoln, Kangaroo Island. Um, they're talking about dissexing the koalas here because there's so many. But we hear about how endangered they are in, in other parts of Australia where they're native to. Yeah, koalas are really interesting. When they're introduced to places like islands, they don't really do that well because they are quite good at breeding and, and females can have a joey every year for their whole life and that might be sort of 10 years to 15 years even. So you can imagine even if it was just 10 female koalas that were introduced first time, if they bred every year for 10 years, your numbers are starting to get so high. But certainly in areas like New South Wales and Queensland, koalas are considered a vulnerable species. And that's because where they live is where all the people live. So on the East Coast, their habitat loss is probably their biggest threat at the moment. Um, you know, if these guys, they're completely built to live the, the whole life up in a tree. Um, and if they have to come down, they're so vulnerable to all the threats that are on the ground now, which is like cars, uh, cats, foxes, dogs. And they really have no defense against animals like that or cars, for example. Um, so yeah, they're their numbers are definitely in decline in those areas. Yeah, and that's a big part of it too, is not just that they're running out of habitat, but the habitat that's remaining is so fragmented, so they're forced to come down to the ground and um, they can't really get around and spread their genes properly. You think, like, obviously that would promote inbreeding, especially with the populations we have here. Yeah, I'm saying they're everywhere, and they are. They, they walk in front of my, in front of my window. <laughs> um, so cool. But because they are so inbred they could be susceptible to diseases and things like that too so we shouldn't even take these ones for granted absolutely uh you know koalas have quite a few diseases whether that's koala retrovirus or chlamydia like they are quite disease prone and inbreeding 
yeah, absolutely makes that 100 times worse. Well, there's a koala retrovirus as well, is it? Yeah, koala retrovirus, um, the effect that it has is similar to um, HIV in, in humans in that it compromises the immune system. So it leaves them susceptible to you know, a range of other diseases and it, it might be passed genetically. The research around it is still not 100%. But Are they the, the same subspecies of koala up there? Would that be right, subspecies? Yeah, there's two subspecies, there's isn't two. there? It's like a northern Cats. one. Taxonomy is always an interesting <laughs> <laughs> subject. I have read that they are considered subspecies and that they're not. Um, definitely the same species. I'm pretty sure you can breed northern koalas with southern koalas, um, but there is like a big size difference yeah, between ab- them. Absolutely. We, we saw our kind of first southern koala the other day. It was a she female was and she was bigger than any of the male koalas we've ever worked with. So. So mostly in New South Wales where we work, uh, it's generally northern koalas that are how like are normally found in New South Wales zoos. Um, so they're always a little bit smaller than the monsters that are down here. <laughs> <laughs> it gets so cold down here, um, yeah. so they're big, fat, fluffy. It seems to be yeah. the mammals and birds get bigger as you go south and the reptiles get bigger <laughs> towards the tropics. Yeah, right. That's really interesting. So taking you back to uh, the Aussie Reptile Park, I'm mm-hmm. a reptile man myself. Yeah. Um, is that why you went and volunteered there? Because uh, of reptiles or animals uh, in general? Actually, the opposite. So <laughs> in about three years at the reptile park, I could probably count the number of times I touched a reptile. Yeah. Uh, so I was in the mammals and bird team, um, which is, I guess, where my interest just lied a little more strongly. But we did. I did get opportunities to interact with the reptiles. So for school shows, public interactions, that sort of thing. So they have some big Burmese pythons that they like to get out for shows, some pretty tame alligators that they get out for shows. And I was lucky enough too to kind of peripherally be involved in the saltwater crocodile feeding as well so i got to go and watch that up close and that's um that's always pretty special seeing a you know a four meter plus salty getting fed yeah very fun yeah we're looking forward to going up there yeah it's gonna be pretty awesome yeah yeah it's look they've got great shows great reptile collection so yeah, yeah you'll, you'll definitely enjoy yeah, yourself I, I went there a few years ago and absolutely loved it yeah, yeah. so looking forward to going back yeah it's a great little park um, mm. I think we're both super grateful that we got our start there I never get sick of seeing saltwater crocodiles feed that pops out <laughs> there mate. it's incredible <laughs> such a beast of an animal oh. it's so incredible look honestly one of my favorite things was watching the croc show and one of our presenters um, from time to time he'd get a, a roo leg because um, we'd feed kangaroo to some of the mammals and um, he'd use that to feed and just before he offered it to the croc he'd tell tell the crowd you know sometimes about two thousand people crammed around there he'd tell the crowd this is about the same thickness as the bone in your leg feed the crocodile and you just hear this snap and the whole crowd would just shudder. It, it was magic people loved it but yeah that just a real visceral reaction to hearing that bone snap in about you know with no effort on on behalf of the croc that's a great analogy someone said to me yesterday it's not as nowhere near as cool an analogy as that but someone said when i'm chopping carrot for my potteries and bedongs and things no that really isn't as it's not as cold <laughs> <at all. laughs> but that's about the same pressure as it takes to chop off your finger so just keep your fingers out of the way of the yeah. knife. Anyway. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'll forever be terrified of, yeah. <laughs> of knives. Of knives, yeah. That's right. So working as a zookeeper, you obviously, you know, there are people that love zoos and really enjoy it, and there are people that understand a lot of the conservation roles that zoos play. Then there are people that are absolutely opposed to zoos. They see all the negatives. What's been your experience working in the zoo industry? Um. I think the the zoos that I've been at, and 
broadly speaking, I think zoos in general haven't had the same kind of impact that maybe aquariums have had with the their sort of anti-captivity movement. Um, I love my job as a zookeeper. I don't think I could ever do anything that wasn't in or around zoos. And I believe it's because zoos are so important. I think we reach such a broad group of people like you have we have children come in we have school classes we have international tourists we have local families like it's such a broad range of people that you can speak to and and communicate with and educate them on the native animals that we have and why it's so important that we you know we live sustainably and we understand the impacts that as humans we have on their habitats and on their ecosystems and how we can make changes to help protect them in the wild and and i think that's so important and zoos help build that connection they have, you can create a relationship between a person and an animal and then they're inspired to do something different and i think that's for me that's why i love being a zookeeper and i think well that's why zoos are so important yeah absolutely i think particularly when we talk about Australian fauna as well. You know, I've been interested in animals my whole life and there's still Australian mammal species that I haven't heard of, let alone the general public. And that's why zoos are important is because we can teach people about these species that they haven't ever heard of and, and hopefully they'll take a little bit, bit of action or a bit of interest in making sure that we can conserve um, these animals in the wild. But it is interesting. I've never really i've only ever had one conversation with someone at a zoo who was sort of really anti-captivity um, and even then we had quite a respectful conversation and every now and then you'll get people who have sort of weird things like particular animals they don't like seeing in captivity but they're okay with others but once you have a chance to have a conversation with people and explain how they're kept and why they're kept certain ways um, i think most people are generally pretty receptive to the idea it's just about communicating to them and explaining how and why we do do things yeah definitely i think it's a a message that needs to go out (laughs) i'm always saying things about zoos so um how good they are and behind the scenes what they actually do like not even just face-to-face stuff that you're talking about which is massively important but the amount of money that they put back into conservation and saving animals um i was in england the start of uh, or the end of last year and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law hadn't taken their kid to a zoo. He's four years old. I took him for his first visit to a zoo. And it was after like really telling her that zoos do a lot for conservation and a lot for you know everything out there. And, and took her to some websites and showed her everything. And she didn't know that. Wow. She was yeah, just right. stuck in the time of when zoos didn't do so yeah. much of that. Um, you know, she sort of didn't realise how much of a turnaround zoos have done. And I think, yeah, so. you know to be a little bit critical of zoos we haven't done a very good job of sort of advertising you know the role we do play and you know the standards that we're held to as well and hold ourselves to yeah i think it's something that they could educate people on a lot more now to say what they you know this is what we've got here but this is everything yeah absolutely and that that information is in the zoo if you look around but i think it should be thrown in people's faces a bit more i I think the industry does need to be a bit more proactive about why we exist because it's an amazing industry yeah yeah it's a good point but when i've gone behind the scenes at the zoo i'm always amazed at i had no idea you're doing that wow this is happening you're breeding bees you know there's like there's about as much goes on behind the scenes as what you actually see when you walk around and it's simple things like in um colchester zoo in england is where we went um love colchester zoo in england might pop over there again (laughs) Um, it's that they've got stupid things like um you know ladybird nests like how to make a, a a platform so that ladybirds come and nest 
It's where your plants are, you know, and that's where everything starts is your plants and, and your insects and then everything else will, will follow through. Yeah, just small things like that that I think zoos are making a, a huge difference now. Good job, you guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do what we can. I've noticed that a lot of zoos now are really selecting plants that really just make you feel like you're in out in the environment where those animals come from and really painting that picture and getting people, you know, um, connecting with the environment that way. Has, I just want to ask both of you guys, your time in zoos, has that changed the way you look at the environment and think about maybe conservation issues? I think maybe not so much um, change the way how I think about things, but particularly lately I've been thinking about, yeah, the way we present animals in terms of that sort of, you know, exhibit theming is super important because... You know, we, we talked about education earlier and there's sort of formal education where you're talking to people directly, but there's also informal where people just pick up things because they can see it or hear it. And yeah, absolutely, that's, I think that's important to try and place animals in their context with, you know, the right plant species, the right sort of exhibit. You know, if it's a desert species, it should be an arid looking exhibit because that gives people an idea of, you know... And it's not just about protecting species either. Probably the best way to conserve species is actually to conserve habitat. So if you can present a, a slice of habitat as an exhibit with species in there, I think that that sends a message as well. So, yeah, super important. And I think, you know, I think there's been a trend since zoos existed going more and more towards that. And I think we're still continuing down that path and trying to refine that and, and get better at it. Yeah. yeah, there's some research going in now to what uh, guests are looking for when they visit zoos and and those natural exhibits that represent the habitat are always the preferred way of seeing the animal, which I think I think is really important. I think guests, you need guests to have a zoo and, you know, we zoos haven't always been perfect. Um, they're not perfect now either and I think guests their feedback is so important and it's what has got us from tiny little cages to where we are now and I think guest feedback will continue to move zoos um, into a better space. Yeah that's right and you know half the time too we're talking about when people are you know not sure about zoos or anti-zoos what you're actually talking about is their perception of something and not necessarily the reality so there is an onus on zoos to make sure they present themselves in a way too that's going to you know promote that sort of positive image i couldn't agree more i think you guys are articulating exactly what i think very well. <laughs> um, no, but we no, we agree uh, in new south wales at the moment there's a big push for them to be able to keep native animals and there's a backlash um, a lot of animal carers are saying they're wild animals they should be left in the wild and you get all these kind of arguments like that and people are just Mortified by the concept, and I just want to bring them here and say, "Come and have a look at some of my. This is a betong. It's in a big, you know, twenty-five square meter enclosure with two of them, and pick it up and cuddle it. This is a domestic animal. It's not a wild animal. And you will find that people that care for these animals, generally, I've noticed, like you, you guys, are great examples, and Steve, of course, um, care for the environment that the wild ones do live in, and it's um, all interrelated. Have you have you been involved in that that conversation at all? Yeah, it's something we've been, I guess, keeping an eye on. And, and personally, you know, it, it is a complicated issue. It's kind of not really a sort of an easy fix. But I guess if you look at reptiles where that sort of system is, you know, much more established and you have, you know, certain grades of licensing, um, you know, you keep certain animals at this license. And if you want to keep this animal, you have to move up uh, in licensing. And I think as long as those sort of protections are in place personally, I feel like allowing people to keep native animals might bridge some of that disconnect that the Australian public seems to have with, 
in our own amazing fauna. So, yeah, on a personal level, and I know I would, I would also like to have, you know, a squirrel glider <laughs> or a, a dunnart um, at home. So, personally, I think it's it could do a lot to address some of the issues, the more, you know, the broader issues that we face in terms of the environment. It's an interesting one. I mean, you see people, like kids have a pet bearded dragon or, you know, their family has a python and they care for the local reptiles and they keep an eye out for them when they're in the environment. And those people having that awareness, um, if that environment gets degraded, they notice because I don't see as many reptiles. You know, it becomes an indicator species for them. And there's nothing like people power too when, you know, a development comes through. If there's a a group of passionate people um, who you know want to do something about it often they actually do get the job done yeah it's a, it's a tricky one. i read this morning that they're clearing around about 50 hectares of prime koala habitat in new south wales for a mining uh, gas mining i think it is and you, and you still hear those things go on and i don't know i've i've been to protests before in the past when i was younger for different things and you wonder like is this working what are we doing I mean, do we just have a corrupt government and we just have to accept that i mean what do we do? I mean, how do we save the world, guys? No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> go, go. <laughs> I'll leave this to my better half. <laughs> I have no idea, to be honest. It's, it's yeah, it's yeah. hard. It's hard. Um, I think it, I think you, I think you made a good point. You need, you know, two zookeepers aren't going to change the world, <laughs> but if you get everybody doing a little bit that makes a difference um and i think bridging you know building those relationships between the local community and the wildlife that they have there um surely must help yeah i think having you know you talked about governments i think ultimately um corrupt or not they probably do reflect the level of care in in the general public if you know 90 percent of the public is opposed to something and are being vocal about that opinion um, most politicians want to stay in office so mm. they'll listen to that that 90 percent so uh, uh yeah i think it's about engaging the public and getting them to care and also getting them to, to stand up for things they care about and that will probably go a long way but yeah a koala habitat in new south wales has uh, been an ongoing issue um and looks to be for a little while going forward yeah I, and I think you made a good point before too about habitat obviously without plants without habitat we don't have animals yeah. that's something that we harp on about a bit particularly me <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. and that's yeah here we go again <laughs> and that's one of those things that we can do you know it's one of those little things we can do that we can control our local environment we can use local native plants yeah. and start from the soil microbes up and we can yeah. you know, yeah. make a little bit of a difference and hopefully influence people when they come and visit and they go oh that's nice and yeah I don't even have to water it there's no irrigation it's a local <laughs> native I don't even have to buy more because they self-perpetuate yeah. and and you and you get the frogs and the lizards and the, all that kind of stuff moving so that's another way of influencing influencing people too you guys have a blog is that correct sustainable living blog yeah well, we have a uh, uh, I guess an Instagram profile um, where we're Mostly Caroline because she kind of um, spearheaded our journey uh, into a, a more uh, sustainable lifestyle. So we share sort of tips and tricks for um, living a more sustainable lifestyle there, particularly, you know, reducing plastic usage. And um, I'm very much on board with our journey, but Caroline's definitely the one who uh, she's more motivated. She's better researched than I am, uh, more disciplined. So, yeah, I started writing a, a little blog about 
uh, my struggles and the little daily changes and and odd things that have kind of happened uh, as we've gone down that path so I'm struggling to think of a, a good example now but um, yeah so well we kind of started this journey a few years ago um, and our whole thing has been we just want to make um, small but permanent changes so might have been we stopped using garbage bags and we used newspaper instead and that was fine we made that choice we never bought garbage bags again and then it's all these tiny little changes and then you make it you make a lot of easy ones and then they get harder (laughs) um which is where probably angie struggles a little bit yeah but Um, yeah it's been very deliberate to make sure that when we make a change we're not jumping into something a huge lifestyle change that we're not going to be able to maintain it's making little changes sort of one step at a time so that we don't you know, you don't have a bad day and take the easy option sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. so Everyday Eco, the um, Instagram page, is about us kind of sharing the the little things that we do that aren't, they're not like earth-shatteringly difficult to achieve. You know, it might be you know, making a promise to yourself or a commitment that you will never get a coffee that is in a single-use cup again and if you forget your cup you make it you you change the way that you you know what i mean you go have the coffee at the cafe or you wait till later um or things like um things that people love is actually regrowing vegetables so (laughs) um spring onions for example we bought a bunch and we used them and they have the little roots at the end and if you put those roots back into water they'll actually grow and they grow so quickly and we end up replanting them and now we never have to buy spring onions again so it's cheaper um you know you don't have to buy the packaging that's around than when you buy them in the shop like and it's just all those tiny little simple things that maybe people don't realize um you know, recycling in Australia is a big issue and I suspect an issue that not a lot of people are aware of. So, you know, you go do your grocery shop and you go, okay, well, I'm going to buy this product because it says that it's recyclable and I put it into my yellow bin and, and then it's all fine. Um, but it's not. Australia doesn't really have the infrastructure to deal with that much recycling. Plastic recycling in particular. So yeah. it was a little while ago now, but uh, essentially Australia was exporting a lot of its plastic to be recycled in China and China basically said no and now uh, it's all sitting in Australian you know facilities but we don't have the actual machinery to recycle that plastic properly so you're doing the right thing you're buying recyclable plastic putting it in the the yellow bin yellow recycling bin but it's not actually going anywhere at the moment and and very likely might end up in in landfill yeah Um, I re- yeah, that's awesome. Sorry to interrupt. I, I, I love that. I love the grow, regrow your spring onion. I've, I've, I've got still <laughs> perpetuating spring onion out there, so nice. I'm right on board. <laughs> Put it in just about everything. Um, <laughs> I read this morning that like plastics are all through the ocean, and they've just gone down 10,000 kilometres, and they're finding plastic in those areas. They're pulling out deep-sea marine organisms, and every single thing they're pulling out has got some kind of plastic in it. Not, not like a necessarily a cup or something but like just micro bits of plastic so it's absolutely everywhere i mean we you know don't always see it on land it washes out of the rivers but it's going somewhere yeah mm-hmm. and it's in there and-, and that's the thing with plastic it doesn't break down but it breaks apart so over you know 10 20 years it will break apart into tiny little pieces of plastic that you can't see and that's what's affecting like our oceans because small fish eat them and then big fish eat small fish and then you find like 
you know, whales have been feeding on plankton that have been feeding on plastic. Like it affects the entire food chain because we can't manage our waste effectively. Yeah, I think it was not so long ago I saw some research that found the first traces of microplastic in human poo. So it's, it's made its way full circle through the... Uh, sorry, you don't like that sort of talk, but... Prozuki um, <laughs> <laughs> pressure to thicker skin. Yeah, but, but it's, it's <laughs> literally made its way through the, you know, the food chain back to us. So we're eating plastic. We're eating microplastic. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wish that, uh, with the, especially with the plastic side, I wish we could get through... Well, I wish we could educate and try and help out the Asian countries that I think the biggest problem with plastic is probably coming Absolutely, from. and I've kind of felt the same way about, um, you know, carbon and climate change and those sorts of things. Um, in, in, the, in our, you know, developed nations in the Western world, we've, you know, developed at the expense of the environment and now we've learnt the lesson we're trying to sort of, trying to, you know, take the right steps now. But, you know, there are still nations that are developing and trying to pull their, you know, populations out of poverty. And absolutely, I support that. Um, you know those people should be you know get a better standard of living so i think there is a responsibility for you know nations that are already well developed to help those countries out yeah because when we went to borneo you remember when we were walking along the the seafront in uh kotakina and just under there it's just all plastic washed up from the sea what's so interesting though is there are like random um small you know possibly still developing countries that are just like they banned plastic bags and my friend i can't remember the specific country she went through but there was one and they banned plastic bags to the extent that you were fined and possibly jailed if you were seen with or handing out plastic bags so they went possibly a little too extreme <laughs> I but think it that worked. Was the plastic bags yeah. with white powder <laughs> <laughs> but then she and she said the country was beautiful it was immaculate there was no rubbish and then you go into the next country where they haven't done it and she it's yeah. um terrible but you know to me that's incredible we went to india a few years ago and they uh were going through the process of banning plastic bags australia hasn't even banned <laughs> plastic bags yeah. like how can like how much can we support other nations when we can't even stand on our own and be like we are um, a sustainable country when, you know, the government or the big companies aren't supporting that? And even members of the public will still cry about, you can't take away our plastic bags, and yeah. they collect those little... There's another... I think Coles oh, bring out those little plastic toy yeah. things again, and yeah. people love those things. Is that, are they made out of recycled plastic or anything? At the very least, they At would the very be, least, I don't know. Didn't McDonald's recently um, stop their little stupid little plastic toy things? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Not sure. No, I know they've committed to sort of phasing out plastic straws and stuff, but I'm yeah. not sure about the, about the toys. But, yeah, it, it's crazy. You have Coles you know ban plastic bags and then about two weeks later announce that second round of toys or whatever they are it's it's madness it's Mm -hmm. it's the definition of i'll look at those things i remember my childhood it's it's absolutely the thing that you get you enjoy for a week and it goes in the bin yeah 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 Yeah. at best yeah Yeah. like show bags and things yeah once you start looking for plastic you can't unsee it Mm -hmm. and i think this is what got us so far in this journey it was like (laughs) okay well first we obviously got rid of like um, single-use cups and plastic bottles but then you're like okay well what about milk bottles which is a particular challenge that Andrew has faced yeah. um, I like milk because <laughs> we know that you know bottles and, and plastics aren't being, re- aren't being recycled properly so 
can we in all good conscience still continue to buy it? And, um, and we looked at some alternatives. Um, I don't really drink milk, so it's not really any skin off my nose, but poor Andrew has <laughs> suffered <laughs> um, my crusade against plastic. But it it's kind of goes to show too that, you know, we've come a long way in terms of um, just reducing, you know, just food packaging in general. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the one of the blogs I've written is about Caroline now makes her own stock. Like it's such a weird, you know, such a small thing. We don't buy stock cubes. We don't buy the stock things because it's easy to make at home, but it does mean we collect, uh, you know, all our vegetable scraps and they go in the freezer until it's time to make stock. So every time I open the freezer door, a mountain of vegetables (laughs) falls out onto my foot. So they're the little things that um, we kind of write about the lighter side and, and the, the uh, odd struggles that you sometimes get along the journey. But so it's... many people love the blog because they're like, it is hard. Like there are super annoying things and the system's not built for it to be easy for yeah. you to be sustainable. And sometimes I think it's the things that aren't, um, you know, extremely difficult, but the things that are just are a little bit annoying that are the ones that break you the most sometimes. So, um, you know, I've had a lot of friends, it's still, you know, it's a very small blog, uh, but a lot of friends kind of come up and, and they actually ask how we're going now, how's you, you know, what have you done now? You know, people are really interested and they're really, they want people to say, you know what, like it's not, you know, it's not always super straightforward and easy, like it is a, a little bit of a sacrifice. But the thing is too, the more people that come on board, you know, the more, you know, supermarkets and, you know, society will actually cater for people who are trying to make those those choices and it will get easier with more and more people jumping on board. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, I think you're right. And a, and a really good um, aisle to go down is like you doing your vlog to say how much of a pain in the arse is going to actually be. But it's all working out. Yeah. I think that's what people need to hear, not just do this, it will make the world a yeah. better place. And if it becomes a pain, you're sort of like, well, I, I can't be bothered to do that. But if you're saying, yeah, it is a pain, but... yeah. Yeah, well, we can get through that. We shared a quote from, I think it's the Zero Waste Chef the other day, um, that was along the lines of, we don't need one person doing single waste, uh, sorry, zero waste perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly. And I think that's it. You know, we're all human. We're, you know, going to slip up here and there and not always make the right choice. But if everyone's, you know, trying, you know, uh, putting in the effort to be a little bit better every day, then we'll get a long way. Yeah, well said. I, I like that you find the time, Caroline, to research this stuff. I mean, <laughs> life's hard. Life's complicated. We have to earn money. We have to live. We have to do so many things. And you find the time to not only research these things but implement them and share them, um, both of you. So and that's pressurise fantastic. your other half. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I do the grocery shopping so he doesn't get that much. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got a local um, milk producer at the moment that we both use their milk um, and, and loved it. And they used to do, was it two litre bottles? And now they've cut down to, I think it's one and a half litre bottles, and which has really annoyed me. The price is about the same. And too. the price is the same. <laughs> so they've done it to keep the price in line, but you sort of think, well, well not only like is the plastic a problem because you're producing more bottles yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and more people are going through more bottles, but um, yeah, it's the transport and everything to, to restock shelves and you know I mean it was probably 10 years ago when I was back in the UK there were all these grocery people that were trying to reduce packaging and 
and make concentrates of things so that packaging can be reduced so that mm. you know that the environment doesn't suffer with all the all the trucks and that driving around everywhere and yeah. then you get a local company that's just done that it's <laughs> <laughs> the thought process but yeah. we should go and see them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, I think it's great that you guys are interested in koalas and I don't mean to go back to koalas <laughs> I've got to say a lot of animal people they sort of they go did you see a crossover there <laughs> well I, I know not a, not a great segue <laughs> um, but I just I, I wanted to say it before but I forgot um, a lot of people yeah, poo poo koalas because oh they're cute and fluffy and everybody loves them so I'm going to not like them on purpose but when you spend time with them they're still awesome so well done yeah, so <laughs> I am the koala queen. I love them so much. Yeah, <laughs> I just think they're such an interesting animal. They are completely adapted to this crazy life where they live their whole life up in a tree. They eat like the, one of the harshest diets. Like no other mammal can live off a diet that a koala can live off because they're just so perfectly adapted to having that diet. And then when you get to work with them every day, you think this animal that sleeps twenty hours a day. Should, shouldn't be interesting or shouldn't really have its own personality, but they do. They, they really do, and, and that's what I love. And I think um, where I work, we are based right in the middle of the city, so we do get a lot of international guests. And, you know, koalas are such an iconic animal, and being able to share, like, my passion about koalas <clears throat> sorry, with them I think is incredible because they're so excited to see them. And I think they don't even realise all the cool parts about koalas. <laughs> Um, Yeah, for sure. I think that kind of sentiment that you mentioned too seems to be more prevalent in people who are interested in animals already. And and that's fine. You know, everyone has their own things that they like. But um, as Caroline said, koalas are such a great ambassador species. And those sorts of species are important um, if that's the the entryway for someone taking an interest in conservation. Like I remember, you know, the animal that most captured my imagination as a small child was uh, tigers love tigers um you know we got to see one in the wild a couple of years ago huge moment in my life but um you know i think barring some crazy opportunity like now that i've worked with aussie species even though my entry into that this sort of world was through you know a book about tigers absolutely now i'm committed to you know australian wildlife and you know that's what an ambassador species is it it gets it represents the wild um you know for every other animal and for every other plant for every other habitat so um yeah we've worked with koalas for a long time we love them um you know maybe they're not that interesting to everyone but they are interesting to some people and that's important they're great great ambassador species iconic australian animals and yeah i think as carolyn said the the diggy deep into them actually they are they have some bizarre behaviors and adaptions and they're actually quite interesting and you spend enough time watching them you know, three, four, five years in, still see koalas doing things I've never seen before. I'm and always amazed how they can, like, they seem so slow and tired and they, they can jump so well. Yeah. <laughs> they can run when they want to. Yeah. Look, I've seen, yeah. I've seen koalas in captivity and, you know, they're on the sort of man, man-made perches, manufactured sort of enclosures and they don't look particularly athletic. I've seen the same koala get out of that exhibit and go up a tree and it's an entirely different animal. <laughs> they are so impressive when you see them in a tree. Yeah. Um, and spent more than one night, you know, keeping an eye on a, in a koala, on a koala in a tree. Totally different animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, that's good. And I agree, they are pretty awesome. Not as good as wombats. Nah, Steve loves wombats. Well, common wombats are more related to koalas than they are to hairy nose wombats. They're basically yeah, a ground koala. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
crazy times. We used to have a giant koala in Australia, ancient times. That's where the drop bear thing comes from. <laughs> that, or maybe thylacolia. Yeah. Well, it could be that. Yeah. 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 Photos of wet koalas don't help. They do look a bit manic. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the yeah, the extinct Australian megafauna. That's another group of animals that's insanely interesting. It absolutely is, and a little bit terrifying. It's one of the most interesting <laughs> subjects, really. And I think it's another way of making people interested in today's wildlife yeah. is to say this is what we used to have. So yeah, yeah, it's, there's some amazing sure. animals that have giant sleeping lizard. Yeah, yeah. Giant tortoise the size of a Volkswagen. And wombats as tall as people. That scares me the most. I, like, I love wombats, but they're terrifying. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> At 30 kilos, let alone, you know, head height. Yeah. We had Dr. Aaron Caymans on the show. We've had we've done two episodes with him, and he's, he's talking about some of the megafauna, and yeah, cool. yeah, it's very interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, guys... Thank you very much for coming Thank on you. the yeah, show. Awesome. No worries. Awesome. Thank really Thanks so that. much for having us. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to add? <laughs> so much storage pressure. Yeah, yeah. Final pressure question. Yeah. You can say no. No, I just, I just have so much to say. No, I just think, I think there's a big movement at the moment for people that are starting to make a change. I think being, living more sustainably and low waste is it's almost becoming on trend like and i think we just need to embrace that and promote it because the more people we get on board the more accessible it is to everybody and the easier it is and the cheaper it is to live that lifestyle and that is so important to everything yeah and and kind of continuing on that i think being supportive of other people on that journey you might have headed down a certain distance down that path where you know you fill up you know your garbage bin you know you empty it once every six months or something like that but um not being judgmental of people who aren't as far along along the road i think we do see that sometimes yeah Uh, it's a bit disappointing it doesn't doesn't help at all so i think being supportive and encouraging other people where you can and helping people out i think that's super important too that's a very good point you make andrew because i think we all want a better environment we all want to see different wildlife and we all have different ways of doing it some people eat meat some people don't some people uh claim ethical meat some people uh, and then why argue you know what debating's great you know but why can't you still have a beer afterwards or a coffee yeah absolutely yeah yeah i'm happy to sit down and have a discussion with anyone about anything but yeah it should be positive respectful and and um yeah, absolutely. If you can't have a drink at the end of it, you've done something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> have a drink and then argue. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, guys, um, thanks so much for coming on once again. And yeah. did you want to, can you just um, say the name of your blog again too for us? Yeah, the blog is Greening Paints and the Instagram account is Everyday Eco. It's every underscore day underscore eco. That's correct. We'll have a a link to that on our website. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for listening.